Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Medical Minute. I'm Dr. Rick. And I'm Dr. Danny. We're excited today to talk about theranostics, which is a fancy word, but... Don't get ahead of yourself, uh, Rick. I have a dad joke to say. Do we have to? Yes. You're going to love this one. What do you call two monkeys that share an Amazon account? Oh, you got me. Primates. Uh, Boom. All right, all right. I got a little bit of a chuckle yeah, there. That's respectable. A that's a respectable joke. That's respectable. So we're going to talk about theranostics today, which is a fancy word. It sounds very fancy. Mm-hmm. Fancy. I think you know a lot about this, Rick. Uh, I, can, I can speak to it a little bit, uh, that's for sure. Um, We've been using more of it lately. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, I guess I've become the unofficial <laughs> spokesperson slash clinician uh taking part in, in, in charge in charge of this uh i, I guess i don't even I'll just, know that i'd call it unofficial I think yeah i think you're officially maybe i'll just pretty official maybe i'll just start making myself feel cooler than i am and just start saying i'm the director of clinical theragnostic <laughs> program at cancer specialists of north can Florida. you please put it on your white coat i will you know what <laughs> i can you. change it on the website no one will know if 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 i wore a white coat i would but i don't wear a white coat as my patients can attest to but yeah change it on the website because i just want to have that title now i feel like why not? I think you would wear your white coat if it said it. Mm. No, 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 I wouldn't. Okay, no, I would. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be. You already wear your white coat. Though. I do. Yeah, true. So we've talked a lot about um, different ways to treat cancer before, but I think this is probably the first time we're going to delve into uh, this side of things. It's a relatively emerging field. Um, it's not a new field. It's been around for decades in terms of um, what it is and how it treats cancer, but the success and the different drugs that are currently in development and currently in practice are evolving at a very rapid rate. Um, I would, you know, obviously I'm a little biased and believe in it, but I do think that this potentially could be something that has the impact on cancer care, maybe not quite to the degree, degree, but something that may really change um, how a lot of cancers are managed, similar to kind of the advancements on your side, Danny, with immunotherapy and some of the other drugs that have revolutionize some diseases. So I think it's worth hearing about. And, and, you know, we have a pretty robust program here at Cancer Specialists of North Florida, you know, bigger than I would certainly have ever believed in a community setting. And honestly, we're doing things that a lot of um, bigger and more tertiary centers don't do, which is kind of um, kind of wild. Yeah, I think it's kind of precision medicine. And we're looking at proteins which are expressed on cancer cells and try to utilize them uh, by first obtaining imaging of, of patients. And that's usually doing PET scans, PET CT scans to evaluate whether their tumors express certain proteins that we can target with, with treatment. Yeah, there's, yes. And, and also there's, you know, kind of different categories of them, but the basic concept is you link a radiation producing particle to a protein that is specific for a cancer cell as Mm -hmm. as danny was alluding to and so the way the treatment works is in theory this molecule will go around your body and anywhere it sees this protein on a cancer cell it will deposit radiation there are different radiation um delivery products if you will in terms of how the radiation is delivered different emitters um Probably won't get into the weeds of it here, but there's alpha emitters, beta emitters, gamma emitters, different ways the radiation is delivered that has to do with how much radiation, how far does that radiation go, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But the basic concept is 
These radiation-producing particles are linked to a cancer-specific protein, and anywhere that protein is, that tumor or that area would receive the radiation. Some are cancer-specific, as you were alluding to, more precision medicine like PSMA and lutetherodotate, which we'll get into, but some of the more original ones were not quite as cancer-specific, um, like Zofigo for prostate cancer, which is um, radium that actually targets the component of cancer in the bone specifically. It's not um, looking at prostate cancer specifically, but bone cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a little less specific, but still relatively specific to prostate cancer in the bones. Mm -hmm. But these newer agents treat not only cancer we see in the bones, but also in other parts of the body. So a little, little more specific. Yeah. You can imagine, I mean, the challenge of, you know, any targeted or precision medicine is to find a target which is specific for the cancer and is not highly expressed elsewhere where there's normal healthy tissue because you don't want a high dose of radiation and, and you don't want a chemotherapy. We don't give chemotherapy with these agents, but, um, you know, we're trying to avoid excess toxicity, which could affect patients' quality of life and, and outcomes. So... Um, I think the, the newer advancements in the uh, lutetherodotate uh, and, and PSMA have really and are still evolving and, and going to probably change standard algorithms of how we treat these diseases. Um, so Rick, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Let's, let's start with Zofigo being kind of that not so precision, you know, um, therapy that we offer to prostate cancer patients. We, we give it uh, for patients with prostate cancer, which is affecting their bone and metastasized to the bone. Um, could you tell the audience about how that's administered and how that, what to expect from a treatment like that? Yeah, so um, the nice thing about Zofigo and a lot of these agents we'll talk about is in general, the short-term side effects tend to be very minimal. Um, you know, in, in general, it's much more well tolerated than your standard cytotoxic chemotherapy. Um, you know, usually don't need much support um, in terms of uh, medications. But basically, the way Zofigo is given is actually very easily over a one-minute infusion given through a peripheral IV um, once a month for six doses. So it's very not time-consuming for the patient. Um, they're in and out of the office in you know 15 to 20 minutes. They receive their dose and they go home. The main side effects we watch for with Zofigo, but also all of these agents is bone marrow toxicity um, because the radiation is being deposited in the bones where the cancer is and there is going to be some damage to the normal marrow. And as you know, Danny, in a lot of these patients, by the time they're coming to me, sometimes they've already seen other chemotherapies or other agents that have already kind of potentially repressed bone marrow production, so they're certainly already at higher risk for complications, and certainly these agents don't help them in that regard. But even still, um, most of the bone marrow toxicity is transient, meaning that their counts may drop, but typically will recover on their own. Um, but that is definitely what we watch for the most. And um, as Danny could tell you, we work in close contact with our medical oncology colleagues should we think they need any um, you know, growth factors or other things to help boost those counts back up. But thankfully for most patients, they don't need support like that. And it's more of something they just, we tell them their counts are down on their blood work, but they don't really feel any different day to day. Yeah, usually, I mean, the, the appropriate patient for Zofigo is, is a patient who 
is not severely anemic, you know, because we can see uh, anemia develop sometimes with Sofigo and usually is not to the point where we have to hold therapy, but um, we're looking for a patient who has uh, a pretty normal functioning bone marrow. And these patients, a lot of time, like Rick said, have been through a number of treatments and we're using this to kind of delay progression and hopefully yield some kind of pain pain relief uh, yeah, I think, as well. Right. So I think, yeah, the main indications for Zofigo yeah. and kind of where the data shows it provides a survival benefit is in patients whose disease is bone only or predominantly in the bone right. um, and who are also having, as you mentioned, pain. Mm -hmm. um, Zofigo certainly can help in that regard. Now, if you have a prostate cancer patient with a bunch of disease in the abdomen or the pelvis, then Zofigo is probably not the right treatment for them because it's not going to address that disease. It's really going to only focus in on the bone parts of their cancer. So it's patient selections, of course, like anything, uh, very critical. And to stay in the same uh, kind of topic here with prostate cancer, we have a, a new diagnostic uh, or a, a treatment that we're offering here at CSNF, uh, both in clinical trial setting. And I think, you know, in the near future, we might have FDA approval where we can give it outside of clinical trial setting. Uh, PSMA, which is prostate prostate-specific <laughs> membrane antigen, and this is uh, specific for prostate cancer cells. And Rick, can you tell us a little bit about the background of this this new technology and how, how it's helping patients? Yeah, so I think um, it's been known for some time that most prostate cancers express PSMA on their cell surface. So the cancer cells have this antigen on the surface of their cell um, that has been, you know, a hypothesized target that drugs could use to be specific for prostate cancer. And this PSMA is um, essentially, the, there's two components to it. Uh, one is a scan portion, a diagnostic PET scan portion. So we've all probably, and we've talked about on previous episodes, a standard PET scan uses radioactive sugar, uh, but these PET scans actually use a radioactive PSMA. Um, so anywhere there's cancer cells that express PSMA, that scan will light up. So what that scan tells us is, do your cancer cells express this antigen? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, those patients may potentially benefit from the treatment. The treatment is the same PSMA molecule, but instead of being linked to a radio tracer for imaging or diagnosis, it's linked to a radiation-emitting particle, um, which in the case of most PSMA at this time is a beta emitting particle called lutetium, um, which is, uh, like I said, um, kind of double speaking, but it emits beta radiation mm -hmm. to kill cancer cells. The way that's given is similar to Zofigo in that it's an infusion through an IV. That's um, typically given um, over about five to six minutes, um, and it's given every six weeks for six total doses is the standard there. So that day is a little bit longer than a Zofigo day because you get a little bit of fluids with it. So patients are in the office for about an hour or two, and then they go home. But it's only every six weeks, so it's not too much of a, um, a time commitment for the patients. Mm -hmm. Similar to Zofigo, the main side effect is the bone marrow blood count um, side effects. So we keep a very, very close eye on that, as well as their pancreatic function, um, because there is some risk of pancreatitis mm -hmm. with this medicine. Those are the two things we keep a very close eye on. But because this is specific for the prostate cancer cells, I would say most patients tend to seem to tolerate it with minimal um, short-term side effects from it. The, um, to, to your point, Danny, and kind of to toot our practice's horn, 
So there's two <clears throat> two settings in which we use PSMA. Mm -hmm. One is in the advanced setting. So in prostate cancer patients who've already been diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer who've failed other therapies, so they've failed chemo, they may have failed advanced androgen deprivation therapies, um, they may have even failed a second line, um, you know, chemotherapy. Those patients, there's now phase three data that's been published showing a survival benefit. So mm -hmm. patients will live longer if they get this lutetium PSMA. Mm -hmm. That drug in that setting is currently under FDA review as mm -hmm. we record this um, in the end of February. Not the, I know it's going to take away a little bit mm -hmm. of the magic when mm -hmm. you listen to this in March, but as we record this at the end of February, right. it's not FDA approved. Right. But here at Cancer Specialists of North Florida, we've worked with Novartis to open an expanded access program. So patients in that situation can come to us and we can still deliver this um, this uh, this PSMA lutetium on a basically a clinical trial. So it's not a clinical trial testing one side or the other. Yeah. It's for Novartis to help monitor safety effects and efficacy going forward. Um, so that's one category we have open. And we're the only site in Jacksonville doing that, Rick? So to, to this, we are the only site in Northeast Florida with that expanded access program open. Right. And even more, I would say, I get some of this credit, but really I don't deserve it. A lot of it goes to our research team, and Mary Alice and, and her crew, and Jessica Vacari, who we've had on this program, and Mary Alice we've had on this program before. Shout out to both of them. Thank you. We, were, we are actually one of the only sites in the country with the PSMA addition trial open. Mm. So this is a different, this is upfront, newly diagnosed metastatic prostate cancer. So patients who have not had chemotherapy, they have not had other therapies. And what the, this study is actually a 50-50 randomization to standard of care, mm -hmm. get 50% of the patients get standard of care, the other 50% get standard of care plus this PSMA drug. So we are fortunate to be one of the only sites in the country with it open, um, and we're doing that in a community setting, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, so patients, we've already had patients traveling from all across the country to come here to see if they're eligible for the trial. And certainly, I would encourage you if you or if you have family, friends, whoever with prostate cancer who want to learn more, even if it's just to reach out to find out what that information is, we certainly can provide that for you. But it's a pretty cool. Um, feel very fortunate to be a part of it, mm -hmm. um, you know, that we can do this in a community practice and, and really give it to the people who sometimes don't have access to clinical trials, um, you know, who can't, right. maybe they can't afford to, or maybe they can't travel to, you know, the big ex expensive centers across the country. So I think it's a kind of a, a neat thing we've done. Right. And and this is the studies taking place here at South Point, right at our yeah, so AC we, Skinner location. Correct. We right. can enroll you at any of our clinics, but the way that the protocol, at least at this moment, we're working on expanding it. So hopefully in the future we'll be able to do it at our other clinics. But as of now, mm -hmm. they would travel to our South Point yeah. office at AC Skinner for the infusions. But again, it's every six weeks. It's not a daily thing, right? Um, right. Like typical quote unquote radiation we've talked about. So and they can get their standard of care therapy probably at the office where so, they see their oncologist. Yes and no. It depends yeah. on the situation. But, okay. um, again, even with the standard of care therapy, yeah. in most cases you're taking a pill right. and you're getting a shot every right. so often. So right. even still the burden is not – you're not – it's certainly not weekly, and usually it's, you know, a couple times a month you'd have to travel at the most. Right. Okay. Well, even the imaging technology to, to have a new 
imaging modality that, um, and, and not everyone, but in some patients is very useful because their cancers express this PSMA and it can be really a guide for how good your treatment's doing and whether whether you're getting significant reduction in the tumor. Yeah, I think, and you know, we've hit on this on other episodes, but yeah. you know, I don't know if the, it'll be interesting to see where the data goes with mm -hmm. PSMA PET. I think it's certainly, I'm of the, it's more information, which is good because mm -hmm. it helps inform decision-making and we'll learn sort of, will we get to the point where we can use that to maybe determine treatment intensity or, you know, adding or removing different agents in certain settings. So it'll be interesting to see where that diagnostic pathway mm -hmm. leads us. But right now I think it's very helpful because it can probably more accurately stage patients than yeah. conventional imaging. I think prostate cancer is one of the tough disease states with imaging because you have a lot of different imaging modalities you can do. You can do plain CT, diagnostic CTs with uh, technician bone scans you can do um, you can do an FDG PET scan although a lot of the time it may not show up you know <laughs> bright in the areas yeah. where you're hoping to see it but I have had patients with you know subsets of prostate cancer which are maybe you know neuroendocrine differentiator or something where FDG PET does have some role in, in utility in, in looking at where their disease is uh, and then we have the uh, flucyclovine PET that, you know, is the Axiomen PET. Um, so now we have PSMA. So just another thing on top of it, which we've got to really hone in and figure out what, what's the best imaging modality for what patient. Yeah, and I think, you know, the good, you know. the nice thing is at least there seem, there's a lot of open trials studying this question, both in not just metastatic, but localized prostate cancer patients and trying to, yeah. you know, I think in the next five to 10 years, we'll really have probably a better handle on when to use it, who's it appropriate for, and how should it be used to influence treatment decisions. Right. right. Um, but no, I think, you know, so prostate cancer is obviously the a big one because it's the most common non-skin cancer diagnosed in men. Um, you know, the other program we have open here um, at CSNF is um, Lutathera lutetium with um, dotatate, mm -hmm. um, and that's to treat um, neuroendocrine tumors, which is not as common as prostate cancer, but once patients fail frontline therapy um, with neuroendocrine tumors, which thankfully in this disease, many patients live many, many years, even decades with their cancer. But eventually, as, as you can speak to better than right. I can, most patients will at some point fail their octreotide or their frontline mm -hmm. therapy. And in that situation, um, Lutathera um, provides a very, very nice second line option that has been proven to increase survival in a randomized trial. And like with the prostate cancer, lutetium thankfully has a very low risk of acute side effects. So patients aren't sick or miserable during the treatment, um, but it's the same thing as, uh, sound like a broken record, we're really watching their blood counts and right. bone marrow because again, that tends to be the main side effects with these agents is transiently, usually yeah. transiently lowering their myelosuppression. Yeah, and I think the second, third line treatments we have for neuroendocrine tumors tend to have a variety of toxicities, you know, if you're treating with higher intensity chemo or you're using mTOR inhibitors, you know, they all have downsides right. compared to the new uh, Lutathera uh, treatment. So it's yeah, nice I, to save that maybe for later on yeah, if you can. Yeah. Or, or until something better comes right, out. Right. Right. Well, that's, and that's what I tell you know, these, so. and, and it's funny, you yeah. know, I've had many <laughs> neuroendocrine patients come to me and say, you know, five years ago, this, this Lutathera was a pipe dream, mm -hmm. and now it's in practice. But they, they live long enough where they can actually 
if you can keep them going right. and their quality of life is good and they're not feeling anything, then like you said, they may be able to live long enough to see that next advancement, which yeah. is very cool. I mean, these are generally very slow growing tumors, but they can be metastatic to a variety of places in the body and, and can be locally a problem depending on where it's growing. Um, and ludothera, I think, leads to you know some some regression of the tumors, and uh, a longer uh, treatment uh, tr- treatment free interval kind of you know you're, yeah, you're delaying th- progression. Right, and I think that's important. A very important point. None of these, like most um, systemic agents, we're not talking about a high likelihood of getting rid of all the cancer cells right. or curing you of your cancer, but it's life prolonging mm-hmm. and the nice thing about this is it's life prolonging with a, in not all cases but most cases a very minimal detriment to the quality of life so right. i think it's a good trade-off for a lot of patients now with all this radiation to the bone and elsewhere rick do we have to worry about leukemia or blood cancers with these agents so you definitely do um, just like with chemotherapy and other systemic agents there's always a risk of a secondary um, malignancy with with these agents um, you know, that risk thankfully is low, you know, mm-hmm. it, looking at the trial, you're talking somewhere between, you know, less than 1% to about 3%. Right. Um, and that includes MDS or myelodysplastic syndrome. So mm-hmm. not necessarily leukemias always, but sometimes just complete, you know, suppression of the bone marrow. Right. Um, so it, if that happens, of course, it's a very serious and, and unfortunate complication, but thankfully that seems to not be a, it's a very, very rare, um, complication right. to the therapy. And I think education is important because we're treating cancers in these settings, which are not curable cancers. We're trying to extend their life expectancy as much as we can to hopefully get on to better therapies in the future. Um, we certainly don't wish you know any of these hematologic side effects on anyone, but um, but when it comes down to quality of life and and having intervals where you're not on treatment, I think I think that's why we offer these new therapies, even with these small risks of of serious side effects. Yeah, I think, and I, and I say this to patients when I'm talking about anything, I say there's always a risk. Yeah, Surgery, sure. radiation, right. standard radiation versus radiopharmaceuticals versus chemo versus immuno. There's no such thing, unfortunately, as a free lunch, mm-hmm. meaning there's always going to be a risk of side effects with any of your treatments. And, you know, I no, none of us can make a decision for a patient on what they want to do. You know, I've, I view our job as you lay out the pros and cons and ultimately let the patient decide. I mean, we can give recommendations, but it's ultimately their decision. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I could sit here and tell you a side effect is very rare, but if you're the person with that side effect, you don't really care how rare right. it is because you have it. Right. So um, it's, it's definitely, you have to be very mindful of that. I think one of the other things just very briefly is this is the beginning of a wave of agents coming. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already testing in breast cancer, um, similar um, molecular targets with lutetium, uh, we already have, and we have here at CSNF, the ability to do um, PET scans, uh, breast cancer-specific uh, PET scans for estrogen receptor-expressing tumors. So that mm-hmm. is something I think in the next, really in the next five to ten years, we're going to see an explosion of these of these radionucleotides, both on the diagnostic side and on the therapeutic side. Yeah, and I think overall you're... <coughs> these therapies have less toxicity than chemotherapy overall. If you look at the side effect profile, they, patients don't feel as sick on them. And then you have uh, a defined treatment um, duration, mm-hmm. you know, where you're on treatment for you know, every four weeks for six doses, every six weeks for six doses. So 
Um, I think compared to the agents where you have all these oral agents out there, and, and a lot of them are very good, but you have to remain on them for it to be effective. So you're on it pretty much indefinitely until it doesn't work. So I think it's nice to have the opportunity to have some of these new agents where it's a, it's a defined period of time you're on treatment. Well, thank you guys so much for coming back and listening to another episode of Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you like answered, or just want to say hi, you can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on, on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time and hope you learned something today. I know I did, Rick. Uh, I think you did. Thank you. <laughs> and remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And, and tune, tune in next time. time.